1 Samuel chapter 7. What an awesome day. We are um, closing out a series that we've been doing since really January 1st on fasting. Uh, Fasting has become popular again, but not for religious reasons, but for weight loss reasons. Um, You know, when we first started doing uh, church at Fullness 30 years ago, fasting was like, we weren't even talked about very much in church life. And now it's talked about everywhere, Um, all the fasting. But we do fasting to seek after God. It's the voluntary giving up of something essential or something meaningful in order to seek after him in our lives. And we start every year in January with 21 days of fasting and prayer. We've done that for 30 years. Um, And so we've been continuing to do it. And so I've done a series where we've looked at fasting in the Bible, various stories where fasting has been mentioned or central to give us an idea about why to fast. What are some different ways we could fast? Because even if we do talk about fasting, sometimes it's just generalized. But really, there's fasting for specific reasons that you're seeking after God for something specific in your life. Um, Just kind of in general, we've looked at this Galatians passage that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free, right? We're free in him. Therefore, we have to stand firm and don't let ourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The, The idea here in Galatians, though it's a little complex, is basically this. Christ has set you free. Don't stink and let no one put you in bondage again. But you've got to fight for your freedom. He gave it to you, now stand firm in it. Don't give it up. Stay free. That's one of the things fasting and prayer does for us. It it helps us remain where Christ has placed us. It positions us where God can help us maintain that level of freedom. Uh, I, I would like to say over my 30 years of ministering in the church that Christ has set people free. They walk in freedom. Life is glorious. Nothing bad happens, but it's not true. Too often, uh, I've seen followers of Jesus who have received freedom, but just kind of, as I've heard others express, kind of drift off into the darkness to allow themselves to be taken again into captivity I don't say that they've lost their salvation, but they haven't walked in the destiny and the freedom for which God both created them and designed them, intends for us to walk in. I mean, Jesus in his first sermon said that he came to set the captives free. And so we want to maintain that freedom. So we've looked at some various aspects of fasting, fasting for freedom, talked about the disciples and praying over the boy in the fire. And Jesus said this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting, praying for an outpouring of the goodness of God from the book of Esther, uh, fasting to break the bondages of negative emotional habits, looked at the prophet Elijah fasting for wisdom and uh, decisions as we seek after God and need his help. Um, we, we also looked at the Old Testament for that, fasting for protection, the book of Esther last week. Today, we're going to close this out. Again, I, I want to remind you that almost all of this, these designs of what types of fast also are found in Isaiah chapter 58, 
where the prophet is talking about what is a true fast looks like. And you can see all these things of freedom and decision and wisdom and protection all listed in this uh, beautiful passage from Isaiah where he says, Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I, I know I'm talking, uh, I'm preaching basically the whole Bible, so just hang on. Uh, but um, the prophet Isaiah is making a reference to the nation of Israel who's come out of captivity, and they were led by what? What? You can talk. The pillar of fire and cloud at night. The protection and the glory of the Lord led. He both led them and protected them. And that's what Isaiah is referencing here is that when we fast in a way that seeks after God a true fast, that it is God who both leads us and protects us. And this morning, I want to talk about this idea of protection and leadership, but really I want to talk about it and close this series out by talking about how we position ourselves, so to speak, how we consecrate ourselves to be used as instruments of righteousness in the hands of God. And I want to look at this Old Testament story from 1 Samuel chapter 7. And just to remind you and just to really solidify the fact I'm going to preach the whole Bible, I'm going to talk about Judges before I talk about Samuel, then I'm going to talk about Samuel. So in the book of Judges, which precedes Samuel, you have the nation of Israel going through this cycle where they walk with God and then they fall into sin and idolatry. As you see, this is their pattern over and over and over again. Then Israel is enslaved. God brings, let me just say this, God allows and brings trouble into their lives so that he'll shake them up and get them out of their sin and idolatry. He disciplines them. And then they cry out to the Lord, oh my goodness, how did we end up here? Lord, save us. Well, they, they did it to themselves. They put themselves in this position, but then God raises up a judge. Someone who will deliver them. They're delivered, and for a period of time, they serve the Lord before they start all over again. Now, I wish I could say they just end up at the same spot, but let me just say this. They always end up at a worse spot than they were when, before they ever started the cycle. So they, every time they, if you look at through the book of Judges, the judges themselves become less godly. I mean, Samson, by the end, is like, you know, it, it's even hard to consider Samson a judge, so to speak. I mean, he's just a big, strong guy who God has blessed and uses in spite of himself. He's a partier, a womanizer. I mean, he's, there's very few, little you can say about the character of Samson. Big, strong guy, weak character. But then the final judge, really, that God raises up is Samuel. It's a reversal. He brings into this whole cycle again uh, a prophet, a priest, a king. Samuel is the precursor to Jesus in many ways. He fulfills all the things that Jesus is going to fulfill. And 
If you remember um, the lead into this story, Samuel is given over to the temple his, without going into all his heritage. He's a little boy. He's raised in the temple by Eli. He hears the voice of God. He gives himself to God. Then uh, Eli, who's by now an old, and I hate to say fat, but he's an old fat man uh, priest. We'll see. The Bible says so. Uh, it's not like I'm making this up. Um, he, he has two wicked sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas. And uh, Hophni and Phinehas are, are basically using the temple to make money. They're sleeping around. They're partying. They're, it, it's, it's horrible. So God proclaims that he's going to take the priesthood away from Eli and his followers, his, his sons, and give it to Samuel who's not his biological son, but is his spiritual son. Hophni and Phinehas um, do this deal where they go and attack the Philistines because the Philistines are the enemy and they, they feel like they can win and they get defeated. They come back and they, they think that, oh, you know what we didn't do? We didn't take the, we didn't take the Ark of God with us. Um, we need to get the Ark of God because, you know, if you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, any army that has the ark in front of it is undefeatable. Harrison Ford told us uh, that in the movie from 40 years ago, and they're making like a fifth one, so it's still out there somewhere. Anyway, yeah, thanks. Um, so they go and get the ark, they bring it out, and they lose again. They lose big time, so much so that the Philistines capture the ark, and they take the ark back with them to their homeland, they, they set it up in one of their cities, uh, in one of their main temples, next to their idols, and uh, they come back the next morning and their idol has fallen over. So they set their idol back up, next morning, boom, their idol is over. Uh, it, it, it keeps repeating itself. Not only that, but the city in which they take the ark is overrun with rats. And they, um, they start getting tumors. Uh, the people are infected with tumors. Uh, I'm sorry, I think I'm so funny, but you, you just go with me on this. You know, 30 years ago when I preached this sermon the first time, the tumors are literally uh, hemorrhoids. And so I did this sermon called Rats and Roids uh, from like uh, y'all who are here a long time ago may remember uh, when I preached this passage. Some of you are like appalled. Like, you got, I was in my 30s. I thought everything was funny. I still think it's funny. Um, Anyway, so they take the ark, they move it to another city. What do you think happens? Rats and roids, yeah, and that's city too. And, and so they start to take it to another city. And this city said, no way you're bringing that here. And they said, well, let's send it back. This is doing us no good. So after seven months of keeping the ark, they decide to send it back to Israel. And they come up with this ingenious way of sending it back where they... Say, let's get two new oxen, two new calves who've never done anything. We'll hitch them to a wagon. We'll put the ark on the wagon. Oh, by the way, what do you think their God might want? Oh, I know what he wants. He wants a golden statue of a rat and a tumor, a hemorrhoid. So they put five rats and five tumor golden things on the cart, and they just say, let's not even guide the cart. Let's just put it on the road, and if it goes back to Israel, then we'll know that God was in it. And if they just wander off into a field and die and dump it somewhere, that's fine too. So they just kind of follow it and watch it, and sure enough, it goes 
The oxen never leave the road. They just go back into the nation of Israel. And in this little, the first village, the first little town, Beth Shemesh, something like that. Just go with me. People are out picking the crops, getting the fields. They look up. Here come two oxen with the ark of God. They, they celebrate. Oh, let's, let's celebrate what God has done here. The ark has returned. What does the ark represent to the nation of Israel, by the way? Do you remember? It represents the presence of God. You know, the presence of God was, at first, the cloud and the, the pillar of fire. But now, when they build the ark in the book of Exodus, they bring the presence of God into the middle of their camp. Rather than the outside, he's now in the, he's the center. And the ark represents the presence of God. So the presence of God is returned. And they, this little village celebrates and breaks out until 70 of the guys decide they want to look inside. Ark of the Raiders of the Lost Ark again. You know what happens. Your face melts if you open the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. 70 people die. They say, we don't want it anymore. Let's send it to the next village, which they do. And it ends up at a guy named Abinadad's house, where there it will stay for over 40 years. It won't leave this place until David becomes king and brings it back. But the story that we're going to pick up is here, when the ark is at Abinadad's house, and what happens now? Let me, let me give you some, um, just some basic truths for, on the story up until this point that I want you to, um, to see. That first is this. God will not be manipulated. God will not be manipulated. I don't care if it's today or 2,000, 3,000 years ago. They were using the presence of God as a manipulative tool to try and make things. They were rampant in their sin, and yet they were saying, we've got the ark of God, let's go out into battle. We can't lose with the presence of God going out before us. And God will, he's, he's saying to them, this is a thing, this is not me. You want the thing, you don't want me. And I'm not going to allow you to manipulate me. When word comes back that the ark has been taken in the battle, that the Philistines have it, Eli, who's an old, overweight um, man by this point, falls backwards, breaks his neck, and dies. His daughter-in-law, who is pregnant with um, Phineas's child, has a child which dies, but she names him Ichabod which means the glory has departed. There's an old story at a prophetic meeting about a guy who got up, and you, in a lot of prophetic meetings, if you've been to hyper-charismatic ones in the past, at, at times someone will say, God has declared Ichabod over this whole thing, which means the glory has departed. He's not, this guy said, up and said, the Lord has declared Michelob over the whole place. So his Bible stuff wasn't very, very good at the time. Ichabod, meaning the glory will be departed. Well, the idea here is that God won't be manipulated. So, um, in the, this is a good point on this idea of fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer, it positions us where God will 
can, does many times, move in our life. But you can't manipulate him into doing what you want him to do simply by fasting and praying. You position yourself in a way that you can hear from God and God can move, but God is still God. And he's more concerned about his relationship with you. That's why Christianity is so critical. It's it's not to me a religion in the sense of religion is trying to do activities that make God do something. And instead, we're in a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants a relationship with each one of us. Also, um, this story tells us that God will not dwell in peace with evil. Either evil within the nation of Israel or evil within the Philistine camp. He's not going to, he doesn't live at peace with evil. We need to get evil out of our lives, which we're going to see as a point coming up. And here's one that is a kicker to me every time. God's presence can leave and you not even realize it's gone until some crisis comes or until you're in a place where his presence dwells. I know that's a, I couldn't figure out a short way to say that, uh, so I just went with the whole sentence. Listen, judges, Samuel, one of the things they teach us is the people of God at times, they don't even realize the presence of God is gone until some crisis happens in their life. And let's, get, let's get God. Well, God's not there. Samson gets up to go and defeat the Philistines, not even realizing that the presence of God has departed from his life. In his story. Here, the people of God, are they don't realize, let's just take the ark out. Thinking God is still with them when he's not. Sometimes it's the crisis or sometimes it's you walk into a place where God is and you realize, oh my, I have not felt, I have not sensed this in so long. I've missed the presence of God. One of the things that's taking place around our nation right now, as you probably read, is there's a, I'm using the term revival. It's hard to know what to call this refreshing that's taking place in college campuses around our nation. Started in Asbury, at Asbury, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, It spread to other Christian college campuses, such as Lee, or even here at Samford in our city. And um, a couple of things on this before I move forward. Uh, One is this. Um, I read an article by Tim Keller um, prior to any of this about how the nation, our nation, was in need of revival. Second thing I read was an article that talked about, and it wasn't a Christian article, it was a secular article talking about how within 20 to 30 years that what they identify as nuns, not like Catholic nuns, but nuns, N-O-N-E-S, people who believe nothing, don't believe in God, don't believe in any religion, that nuns will be, I keep saying nuns like, you know, it's hard to get the Catholic nuns out of my head, but the nuns, that group, N-O-N-E-S, will be the largest group in our country. And I started praying, I've been praying for a long time, years, but really re-upped my prayer life, so to speak, to say, God, this is going to take a sovereign move of you to turn this around. And it, 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 it's happened before where our nation was headed the exact same direction and you moved in some sort of sovereign way. And I, I'm not prophetic and I don't claim to be. I'm more of a teacher. That's my gifting. But even then I sense, God, you've got to do this in a younger generation. It's got to, the ones that are leaving, the ones who are dissatisfied, the ones who are, 
who have, who have said, eh, I don't think this works, are younger ones who, who are going to build. And the vast majority of college students, not at Christian colleges, but other colleges, they're, they're being taught by, and this is not like some old pastor just giving you this. These stats are true as well versus some that I tell you. But um, these stats, 70 to 80% of all professors on college campuses identify themselves as left or far left. They're very liberal. They're not, they don't have, hold the same value system. So what's going into college students in a general sense is, is a challenge to faith, a challenge to anything that might be considered conservative by any stretch of the imagination. And so what, in my heart and mind, what I was thinking was, God, you, you're going to have to move in a way that brings a generation back to you. And I, I think that what we're getting is just a taste of that. I'm praying that this small fire that's been lit at Asbury and at Sanford and Lee and Cedarville, these Christian colleges will jump the fence and just go to non-Christian colleges. Um, ones that there's, you know, you, a secular press can say, yeah, these are Christian colleges. They're manipulating kids to start acting this way. There's so many things. But if it jumps the fence, then I think it, it, it could sweep our nation. And so what I'm going to do just before we move on in the rest of the sermon is I want to ask Chase Saunders, who's... Um, who is of this generation, who's been one of our interns, a Beeson student, I'm going to ask him to come and pray for his generation uh, as a voice of his generation, to pray that God would move. And if you're, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. If you're 29 or younger, stand up. And I'm going to ask, I, we wanted to make a move to go younger. Look at this. Uh, if 29 or younger, um, I, we want to pray for you, that God would move in your generation, that the fire of God would sweep around this country as a result of what he's doing in your lives, other college students. How many of you are in college right now? I've got a good number. So um, pray that you would be lights, especially on your campus. Chase. Let's just start off by thanking God. That's what I want to do first, because he has visited his people. Lord, I thank you. Everybody just open your hands. Like you're just, position yourself. If you want to get on your knees, get on your knees. Position yourself for prayer in this moment. God, I thank you that you have visited your people. Jesus, I thank you that you are visiting your people, God. We want to position ourselves in humility that we might know you, that we might get in the river, that we might move with whatever it is you're doing, Lord. God, I pray that we would be people who listen, respond, and obey to your word. That we would be people who listen, respond, and obey to your spirit, Jesus. And Lord, I just agree with Pastor Bart. Jump the fence, God. Jump the fence, Father, to the secular universities, Jesus.
God, jump the fence that people who do not know you might know you, God. Lord, we just reject that in 30 years most of America will be nuns. We say they will be given to the hand of the Lord. We say that they will be your sons, that they will be your daughters, that there's a generation coming that will seek after the presence of the Lord, that will set their face like flint to know you and to behold your glory, to look upon your sanctuary and behold your power, Jesus. God, I'm praying that you would send an awakening to this country. God, I'm praying that you would send revival. Awaken your church, Jesus. Then go and awaken the lost, Lord. We have to have your presence, God. We have to have more of you, Jesus. God, I bless my generation and the generations behind me that that do not know you. I pray that they would know you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would drink deeply of your spirit and deeply of your word, Father. Lord, I pray that you, that you would begin to awaken them in the night, Jesus, with, your, with a stirring. I pray that you would call them into the places of prayer, call them into the churches, God. Lord, where there has been anxiety and depression and suicide in this generation and the generations behind, we reject that and say, come in with your presence. Come in with your hope. Come in with your peace, Lord. We have to have you, Jesus. This is all for you. We have to have you, God. Lord, I pray for those in this church. I pray for myself. Start with us, Lord. Start with us. Mark us with your spirit, Jesus. I pray that we would know that we can drink as much as we want to of who you are. Lord, for Samford, for Lee, for Asbury, continue in what you're doing, Lord. And for the secular college campuses, Lord, for for UAB, visit UAB, God. Visit UAB, God, that there have been tears sown into that place. I ask that you would move there in a mighty way, that professors, admin, that that, that students would come to the saving knowledge of who you are. God, we're asking for salvations in this nation. We're asking for your spirit to be poured out, Lord. We come boldly. We bless you, Father. We love you. We thank you for all that you're doing, God. Thank you that you are willing to come and visit your people. I pray that we would have attuned ears to what you are doing. God, I pray that we would not give in to any hype, that we would not give in to any showmanship, but that we would simply worship you. I pray that you, King Jesus, be the center of our focus, the center of our affection, that you be the main person that is exalted and glorified in this revival. God, we come against any religion that would, that would post a wrong view of you and say, purify your church, purify your people, God. Lord, we bless families, families of college students, families to be reunited, fathers' hearts to be turned to their kids, Lord. God, we bless you and we thank you for all that you're doing. God, cover, cover this generation, cover my generation that has been so lost that has been so broken, Lord, save them. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Chase. Hey, I'm asking you to continue to pray for what God is doing. Um, Hey, by the way, we're not done yet. Sorry if uh, you got excited like, oh, there's church, it's over. No, I haven't even got to the sermon yet. We're going to start right now. Um, So, but continue to pray for this. And here's my thought, and I'm going to move quickly through the story. I mean, I'm going to move quickly through the story to say, 
we need to, to, we need to voluntarily set ourselves apart for what God wants to do. Uh, you need to take the action. It, it, you're not going to do it. God's going to do it, but you need to position yourself in a way that God can move in your life. Uh, that One of the biblical terms is this idea of consecration, where you give yourself, you consecrate yourself to God's move. And that's really what happens in the remainder, I think, of chapter 7. At least I'm going to use that idea for what's going to happen in 7. So we're going to walk through how do we consecrate ourselves? How do we set ourselves apart? How do we put ourselves in a position that God can then move in our lives? Now let me just say this. There are times in the Bible where God moves when people did nothing to set themselves apart because God is God. He's that big and that sovereign and that moving. But most of the time it's when God's people get in a way, in a position where God can then do something in their life. And that's what we believe these times of fasting and prayer can, can do is they position us, consecrate ourselves. So here's the first idea. Of when you, if you want to experience breakthrough and to consecrate yourself, start with Repentance. Repentance is this idea of change of mind or change of direction. I'm back in chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim, that's the house of Abinadad, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. Some people have interpreted this, by the way, to mean that uh, the ark stayed there 20 years and then was moved. No, think about this. This is kind of remarkable to me, that Samuel becomes priest and then the ark comes back, and it just sits. They don't, even, they're not, they don't go there for 20 years. This is really Samuel's coming out party, so to speak. This is when Samuel starts to begin to minister as both a prophet and a priest and the leader of the nation. But it's been how long? 20 years. 20 years since he, um, all the stuff that happened earlier. And Samuel going on. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord, that's the idea of repentance. You, you've been going this direction, now you're returning. You've, you've repented. You, you've changed of mind, change of direction, change of heart. Then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths. Those are the pagan gods of their, their period. And commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and asterisks and served the Lord only. This truth that we need to change direction, change mind, it starts with repentance. Listen, um, I, I, here's my belief. Repentance is it, it's what happens when we come to know the Lord. We were going this direction, we repent, we change directions. We go. But I, I think repentance is a lifelong thing. Uh, it's not a one-time deal. There are some people in uh, what's called a grace movement who believe, oh, you just repent once, confess your sins once, it's all taken care of for the rest of your life. I got to tell you, my experience has not been so glorious. Uh, I need, I, there are constant changes in my life where I learn more about what God's doing or where he is or what he wants cleansed out of my life and I need a change of mind I need a change of direction I need a change of heart and I think one of the things about consecrating ourselves is putting on ourselves in a position where we constantly say God every place my mind disagrees with your mind change my mind so that I can have and walk in the mind of Christ so repent. Then come together in prayer, fasting, in unity, 
be with each other. I, I believe this. God, God can touch you in your home when you're by yourself praying and fasting, but there's also something that is uniquely corporate about the Christian experience. It is us. It is not just me and God. It's me and God and you. And together, we get to experience this life. And, and most of the times, God's moved mightily in my life has been in some sort of corporate gathering. That's why I think it's so important for the body of Christ to, to assemble together. Samuel says to the people, assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. Hey, I'm trying to move quickly, but I don't want to get so quick. You know, we, you really haven't seen the 12 tribes coming back together much. Uh, you think, oh, they just, they got together as a nation all the time. Well, they don't. And this move that Samuel, gather all Israel, everybody come together here at Mizpah and let's consecrate ourselves and I will intercede with the Lord for you. There's this corporate gathering. And then when they assembled, they co confess and consecrate themselves. They, they, confession, by the way, is this, agreement with God. Most of the time we think confession is just a negative term, like I've got to say what I did bad or wrong. But confession, is, in a general sense, is anytime you agree with God. Hey, God is great and greatly to be praised, is a confession, right? Because he is. We're agreeing with him. But also, to confess to, of my wrongdoing is agreement with God. God, I've, I've sinned. I mean, he already knows it, right? He, he's already fully aware. And what I'm doing is I, there's something in confession that, that aligns me with God and releases the power of God in my life for him to move in my life. It's not magic. Go back to point one. You can't manipulate God. But there is something about agreement, verbal agreement, that is very powerful in the kingdom of God. So agree with him about where, where you are. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed. This pouring out of water is the idea of giving themselves. It's a symbolic act. We're pouring out our lives before you, Lord. We're giving ourselves. They, they fasted. They prayed. And they say, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. This is the statement that says now he's been placed as leader. But they're confessing their sin. They're confessing their position. But they're also confessing, I am giving myself to God right now so that he can move in my life. Hey, <laughs> this is kind of jumping ahead, but you can guess the next point probably. What are the signs that God is moving in your life and the filling of the Holy Spirit? My friend Jack Taylor, who is like a mentor to me, he always say, you know, he always used to say, the sign of being filled with the Spirit is not really tongues or any gift of the Spirit. The, the sign that you're filled with the Spirit is this, trouble. <laughs> the enemy will come against you. You will have problems. So the next point when you consecrate yourself, don't go into this lightly. Get ready for battle. Do you think the enemy is going to leave these beautiful prayer meetings and worship meetings that are going on on college campuses, you think he's going to leave those alone? Not happening. He's going to come against them. When the, this is, to me, symbolic of what's happening with the nation of Israel. They're gathering, 
They're giving themselves. And as soon as that happens, the Philistines heard. They're the, they're the symbolic evil, the real evil that the enemy is using in this sense. The Philistines had heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah. The rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. One of the greatest tools, by the way, of the enemy is fear. He will use fear in your life to try and prevent you from not only giving yourself, but if you give yourself from walking it out. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. We need to get but gird up, put on the full armor of God. All the things we've talked about, about being in a spiritual battle, even over the last couple of weeks. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered them. Uh, it, it, we don't have to look to a Samuel because we already have a high priest. If Samuel is the precursor, the design, the idea of Jesus as a prophet, priest, and king, then the one we look to is at the right hand of God the Father right now making intercession for us. We, we don't need a priest to go through. We don't need someone like Samuel now. We who are followers of Jesus Christ are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and we can walk out this cry for battle to our high priest, Jesus, who is greater than any priest who has come before. And so, but at the same time, I want to encourage you, in this world you will have trouble right here, River City. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. Our high priest has overcome. That way, we're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. Because he's already conquered. You get to walk out the conquering that he's already done. Which leads me to the next point. Drive out the enemy by the power of God. You may say, I don't know. Do we have this real power? In faith, I'm going I'm to walk this out. Uh, I, I am, just forgive me for being so blunt, but I am tired of the, the church and people in the church getting their butts kicked by the enemy. And I want to say it's time for the church to step up and to say, we have the power of God. In fact, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Uh, we have the power to see deliverance happen in people's lives. We, we not me, this isn't about me. This is about God at work in our lives to see people set free. The people walk out their destiny in the Lord. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. Can you imagine this scene? He's, he's offering the sacrifice. And while he's doing it, the enemy, you can see him coming over the hill. They're coming to attack. They're coming to defeat the, the people of God. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The Lord thundered. 
Some of you are here today and you need the thunder of the Lord in your life. You need the thunder of the Lord in your home. You need the thunder of the Lord in your workplace. You need the thunder of the Lord in your individual lives to see the enemy driven out and be set free. Now, here's the point I, I hope that you're seeing. They didn't go directly from nothing to thunder, right? Hello? I'm going to go through these points again if you don't agree with me. Amen. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, we're going to get to lunch sometime here. But they, they repented. They confessed. They set themselves apart. They prepared themselves. And when they did, that's when God thundered. He moved on their behalf. The, what did they do then? The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them all the way along the way to a point called Bethkar. I'm going back to a sermon I preached like two months ago. Too many people think it's all God or all me. Like, I, I, you know, I don't do anything. God does everything. Or I have to do everything. And I, to me, this story indicates again, God did the heavy lifting. God thundered. God threw them into confusion. But what if the nation of Israel said, thank you, Jesus, for moving Thank you for throwing them in confusion. They're gone now. We'll just leave them alone. No, no. They pursued and destroyed. They, they acted with God in what he was doing. They, they took ownership of where they were, and they pursued the enemy. I, I'm not going to preach on this very long, but I do want to continue to make the point I've tried to make over the last couple of weeks. It's this. Quit living at peace with sin in your home. Pursue it. Destroy it. Get it by the power of God. See it driven from your home. How does, the, how does the roaring lion devour? Well, he devours some because they've opened their house to him by sin. They've opened up the doors and windows and said, I can live at peace with sin. And they're getting just annihilated in their home by the enemy. And then they wonder why. One of the reasons why is God may be saying to you, agree with me that sin is sin. Let's call it for what it is and quit justifying it and instead close the doors, close the windows. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We are all prone to it. That's why we need to reconsecrate ourselves to reset ourselves apart for what he's going to do. And then finally is this, celebrate, remember, and move on to more of God. You remember how the nation of Israel, they were going through that cycle, and every cycle spin, they'd end up worse off? I believe that there's a cycle spin, so to speak, that gives us more and more of the glory of God. You know, you're going you're gonna, to, according to Romans, you, you, you've got hope, Right? But hope, what, what, what happens after hope? Do you remember the cycle in Romans 5? You can still talk to me. I want to make sure you're awake. Anybody? Suffering. suffering. You get suffering. You think, I get hope. Now I get, oh, yes. No, you get suffering. Why? So that it'll pr produce perseverance. Perseverance will produce 
character, character will produce more hope. Our cycle goes up when we reconsecrate ourselves to God. It doesn't get us out of problems, it doesn't get us out of suffering, but it does give us more and more hope and the glory of God if we will continue to walk and celebrate. Here's that passage that Scott mentioned early in our service where it says <clears throat> something. Then, uh, keep smiling. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, meaning thus far the Lord has helped me. They're celebrating. They've got this stone, this remembrance. It's, by the way, it is not a bad thing to set up some sort of remembrance when God does great things in your life. You know, when he moves, you're not going to worship the stone. You're not going to stay at the stone. But every so often, you may need to look back at it and say, you know, God delivered me then. He'll deliver me again. God came through then. He's going to come through again. I remember when God did this in my life. I know, I know I keep going along. Just hang with me. Too many times we look back at our failures and that's the thing that we remember. Somewhere we've set up a stone of failures. And I remember when that happened. I remember when that happened. I'm going to fail again. I'm going to go, it's going to happen. Reverse the trend, people. Start saying, here's how God has delivered me. I'm going to say, yeah, I stumbled and fell, but that's not me. Instead, I'm going to set up these stones of remembrance in my life. Even if they're in your mind to say, here I raise mine, Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when? I was a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He drew us in, people. Philistines were subdued and did not evade Israelite territory again throughout Samuel's lifetime. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. They're not coming back onto the scene till Saul comes. Here we go. I want us to consecrate ourselves afresh and anew at this moment this morning. So here's what I'm going to do. I, please do not feel manipulated in any way. But if you're here today and you would say, you know what? Pastor, I, I, I really need this. I, need to, I know that I've, I've taken a right when I should have gone straight. And I need, to, I need to consecrate myself afresh and anew. I'm going to ask you in just a second to come to the front. Nothing magical, nothing mystical about coming to the front, but it, there is something powerful when you confess. And your movement will agree with God that something's going on and that you want to set yourself afresh and anew here today to consecrate yourself. And as you do, I'm going to leave these things on the board. Repent. We're going to fast and pray together. We're, we're praying. We're going to confess and consecrate, give ourselves we're going to get ready for battle, crying out to God. We're going to, in faith, see the victory and celebrate and remember and move on from victory to victory. Craig, if you would come and 
start playing. And if you would like for me to pray with you, just kind of over you right now, uh, before we leave this morning, just to set yourself apart afresh and anew to repent, especially to repent and come together and to consecrate yourself, confess and agree with God, then I'm going to just ask you just to stand up and come to the front. Um, everybody can stand up, uh, but uh, if you want me to pray for you, you want to consecrate yourself, again, afresh and anew this morning, just move to the front right now, and we're going to sing and pray. Just go ahead and spread out all the way across the front. your hands before the Lord if you feel comfortable. Now, I'm, again, just do what you feel comfortable with. I'm just encouraging you to, to kind of get into an idea and a position to receive from the Lord. Lord, I pray for every single person who's come to the front right now. Spirit of God, move on us in might and in power. Lord, we, we repent. We, we, we ask for a change of mind, a change of direction. We, we acknowledge where we have stumbled and fallen. And Lord, we want to keep moving forward toward you. Lord, we, we together pray, asking you to move in our lives. We want to we want to confess that you are great and your greatness supersedes all of us, but at the same time, your greatness indwells every single one. Move among us. Lord, this morning, we voluntarily, we, we set ourselves apart. We ask that we would be instruments of righteousness in your hands, vessels of honor, to do your work on the earth. Work that goes beyond our ability, our, our thoughts, our minds, our, our skills, our talents. But we give them to you, Lord, too. And saying, Lord, magnify. Do things that only you can do. Lord, we pray this morning that you would thunder in freedom and in life and in power and in deliverance in our lives. God, we, we need to the thunder of the Lord in our homes and in our workplaces and in our schools and in our generation. Lord, move in might and in power. <coughs> this morning, we're really just getting to this point where we're asking for God to move. And maybe at this moment in battle, he'll There'll be victory assured, but nonetheless, you're, you're here to say, here am I. God, here's my heart. The heart is the symbol of who I am. It's the center of my being. God, I give myself to you afresh and anew right now. Craig's going to sing over us. Just stay where you are. It's a prayer that uh, it's just the idea of here's my heart, here's my life. Here am I. Just let God.
right now. If you're not at the front, just pray for those that are. Just sing this song to, as well to the Lord. We can all gather together and in unity agree. I know the hour's late. Um, if you need prayers, you would like somebody to pray with you, lay hands on you and pray with you about this or anything else, we're going to have ministry teams that are going to get from like right here all the way over and around. So if you would like prayer from right here all the way over and around, our ministry teams will pray for you. So just 
come to the front, stand, or just stay where you are, and a ministry team will get with you. So if you want individual prayer from over here, you're going to need to move over there. Then I'm going to ask, if you're a college student, uh, I'm going to ask Paul Hughes to pray for you to be kind of commissioned to go back to your campus, wherever it may be. And that's going to happen over here by the piano. So if you're a college student and you're willing to let Paul pray for you, a UAB or Birmingham Southern, Samford, Mile, I don't know, Montevallo, wherever you go to college and would just allow yourself to receive prayer before you go back to school, go over here and Paul is going to pray for you. Um, Caleb Hughes, who's here somewhere, sent a word to me earlier about uh, remembering the fast. You know, God moved in a lot of our hearts and our lives during that 21 days, and he spoke to us. He, he lit a flame in some of our hearts that day during that time and to remind us to fan into flame, not just the gifts, but the words of God, which is a gift of God, to be vigilant, to stand firm, to see what God will continue to do. Don't give up on that word that he gave you is the basic idea as you go from this place. I'm going to speak our blessing over you if you're here and need to be dismissed. Again, I know the hour's late. Feel free to stay, worship, pray, or if you need to depart, that perfectly, you're totally free to do that. If you need prayer, here over, college student over to my left. Everybody clear? What do we got? Okay. Just let God move as he's going to. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you.